0: Welcome back, everyone. This is the third episode of my podcast, Kitchen Conversations, devoted to the culture and arts of Ukraine. The day I'm releasing the podcast is the 47th day of this brutal war in Ukraine. All of us, no matter where we live, are confronted uh, with the images of brutality and horror through mass media, but also social media. All of the channels are sharing horrible images of a full-scale genocide of war crimes committed by the Russian soldiers on Ukraine and the Ukrainian people. We hear and see traumatic scenes from cities like Mariupol, Kharkiv, Kiev, recently, of course, Bucha, places which maybe we never heard of before, especially the smaller ones which suddenly, yeah, become very strong symbols of this war, symbols of uh, genocides, but also symbols of heroism and fight for democracy, fight for freedom. The war is lasting more than a month now, and the longer it takes, the more helpless we feel, at least I feel, the longer it takes, the farther it becomes since we continue our lives. And if we are not directly affected by it, it sometimes becomes less and less urgent. And this is something which scares me so much because it's still going on and the crimes are being more and more traumatic. More people are dying. More people are fleeing Ukraine. That's why, of course, I continue also with this series for myself also to to keep myself updated, to keep myself um, busy with it. Also write to my friends, ask how they are doing, read more news, also inform myself better, not only briefly share something on Instagram, but really actively taking part and doing something. Yesterday, I went to a demonstration organized by Alliance of Ukrainian Organizations So, a kind of, as I understand, umbrella of all smaller Ukrainian organizations working and acting here in Berlin. And it was a protest uh, in front of the Bundestag, so the German parliament, calling for an immediate embargo of the fossil fuels from Russia, so mainly gas and oil. and. It was a very strong experience since it wasn't just a regular protest but the idea was to lay down so lay down on the ground for the memory of all those people who died so far in Ukraine. I think this action was already done in few other European cities amongst them Warsaw so I was very happy to also be able to do that and it was a very powerful experience. So we were like thousands of people First screaming and very loudly speaking about what we call the German government to do and to act. And later for 15 minutes we all laid down in silence and someone was reading out all the cities of Ukraine where people died and where the war crimes were committed so far. The very date of the protest or the action was also a significant one since it marked 30 years from the beginning of the Bosnian War. So 6th of April 1992 is considered to be the beginning of that war, which also took so many innocent people. There were, of course, huge full-scale genocides. War crimes committed. The war lasted so many years. And it is also said that the West didn't act enough, didn't help enough, and somehow allowed for it to happen. And now somehow the history is or might repeat. And for me, it was so important to put those two histories and present situation together and understand, okay, let's learn from the past. Let's do something different this time. Let's support each other. Let's not... Let innocent people die just like that, being shot just in front of their houses. Today's episode will focus on a very specific city in Ukraine from where the curator of this episode is from. So more about the city in a minute, but first a few words about Alex. So Alex Blanco is a Ukrainian-Brazilian photographer currently living and working in the Netherlands. So I know Alex through a job. We worked together for a publishing house in Amsterdam. We didn't spend much time together since that was the COVID year, so 2020 when COVID hit and we couldn't really work all together in the same office. So we had to take shifts. And yeah, it happened that I never really worked in the office while Alex was there. And later she became a mom. She took a bit of time off and that's when I moved to Berlin. So we also kind of didn't manage to meet afterwards. However, I do follow her work. Alex also took part in one article I wrote for Contemporary Links magazine last year. So I do keep in touch with her and I follow closely what she's doing. Her work is also very much connected to Ukraine, to her home country, to her family and Eastern Europe at large. So that's why I also thought it would be great to have her curate this episode for you today. And the city which we'll concentrate on today is Odessa. So it's a Ukrainian city, port city, on the Black Sea in southern Ukraine, located quite close to Moldova. And it's known for its beautiful beaches and the 19th century architecture, and much more, which Alex is sharing with us today and one of her recent photo books and photo projects is directly inspired with the city and her family who comes from that city and I thought to just read you the first paragraph of the description of the project from her website since Alex is also a writer and she very beautifully describes what the city and the project itself means for her so I thought... To give her here a few words. Meat, fish and aubergine caviar is a project about my parents life in Odessa, Ukraine. The city on the Black Sea coast that traditionally has had everything in abundance. Fish, sun, exposed flesh and of course delicious aubergine caviar. The city where the real is overlapping with the surreal and everyone was born to shine either in the bright rays of the beautiful sandy beaches or under the charming street lamps of Primorsky Boulevard, right where you can find the famous Sergei Eisenstein staircase from his 1925 silent film Battleship Potemkin. The city where you leisurely and unhurriedly walk in your white trousers along the shore, because it's almost like Rio de Janeiro as calmed by the protagonist of The Twelve Chairs from 1928, a classic satirical novel by the Odessa author Ilif and Petrov. So as with all other projects of Alex, this one is very emotionally charged, deeply personal, and most of the time quite uncomfortable to watch. So a lot of the images are showing a very intimate relation between her and her parents, revealing a lot of problems. They shared a lot of miscommunication and Alex uses the camera as a tool to kind of regain this contact, uh, to understand them, their lives, what they went through and also shares her personal history, why she actually didn't see this paradise of Odessa, but she actually wanted to escape when she was young and now coming back as a mother herself. To see her own mother in a very different light. Beautiful, very touching and emotional project. And visually also really, really well done. So definitely check it out. You can see it on the website. But it was actually also shared quite a lot through different magazines. I think especially in the Netherlands. Nowadays, Alex is also selling quite some of the prints from the project and donating the money to Ukraine. So that I will also link in the podcast. So perhaps you can check and even get some of her prints and the same way support Ukraine. If you follow her Instagram account, Alex Blanco Photo, you can see where she donates the money or through which organizations she sells her prints and what's nice that you can really see where exactly the money goes so mostly she's helping people in Odessa but I saw also some women in Mariupol and mostly she concentrates on helping females and recently she also started a new project, photography project that is especially cherishing females and the women of Ukraine in all kinds of uh, forms. So she wants to capture the children, the female artists, sisters, girlfriends, daughters, grandmothers, women of the LGBTQ community, and everyone who is fighting in their own way for the free Ukraine. So definitely follow uh, that project as well. I think it just started and she shared a few first images on Instagram, but I'm sure there will be more coming. Apart from that, Alex is also doing very interesting vlog videos on the Instagram stories, that uh, she started i think yeah when when the war started on the 24th and i am following those as well so she speaks in english about very specific aspects of ukraine about the language, about how complicated it is. For example, she did a very interesting vlog about the Russian and Ukrainian language, why some Ukrainians do not speak Ukrainian, and about about the history of imperialism, how her parents, for example, were not allowed to speak Ukrainian at work and in school, so they also didn't teach her the proper Ukrainian, and now she kind of is a Ukrainian who only speaks Russian. So a lot of very interesting aspects she's sharing, so definitely a person to check out and follow and learn more and more about Odessa. But now we will follow with our three recommendations about the city and the culture and art of Ukraine. Number one is a text by Isaac Babel, Odessa Stories or Tales of Odessa, first published in 1924, 26. It's not exactly sure when or like there's different sources telling different things. Anyway, a very old text, a hundred-year-old text almost, that is a collection of four short stories situated in Odessa in the last days of the Russian Empire and the Russian Revolution. So the book is speaking about people who lived back then in Odessa at a port city, and mostly it's speaking about the gangsters who ran the city. Jewish gangsters who back then were a big group of the Odessa society. And it's even written that they were the second most populous demographic Jewish people. And later in the 30s, even the first most populous demographic of Odessa. And the book is divided into two parts. One is devoted to those gangsters and their lives. And the second is a more autobiographical part uh, where Babel speaks a little bit about his childhood since he was also Jewish and naturally was growing up amongst those people. And while I was researching a little bit about the book, I haven't read it yet. I had to think about another book by a Polish writer, Szczepan Twardoch and the book is titled cruel so the translation tells me it is the king of war so a novel And that is a text about uh, Warsaw in the late 30s, run by Jewish gangsters, so similarly, but in Warsaw and they are like controlling the city and everything is happening uh, as Hitler rises to power. So the history of the whole Europe or world is about to change. Very, very special text, amazingly written. I'm not sure how the translations work because I read it originally in Polish, but I know that his work was uh, widely published and translated so I'm sure you can find it as well. But back to Isaac Babel. So he was uh, born in Odessa in a part of the city or town called Moldavanka. He was born in 1894 to Jewish parents and he lived there until he finished school and then moved to Kiev where he started writing a bit but it wasn't going so well and later he joined the bolsheviks and the red army he fought in the civil war he was a political commissioner in the red army and later his work really commented on his experiences during the war but also coming back to his childhood apparently as a young boy he witnessed a pogrom and that deeply influenced his future works on YouTube, you can actually find quite some videos of his grandson, Andrei uh, Malev Babel, speaking about his grandfather's work and, in particular, about his creative process.
1: Being that Babel is not writing the story, he is writing the creative process. He doesn't write about that particular character. He writes about how he creates that particular character. You see what I mean? It's almost an account of his creative process more than it is an account of this reality. Then it's about creativity. And if it's about creativity, creativity is one of the highest forces that we can connect with, I think, in this world. Maybe there are higher forces that we can connect with in other worlds, but in this world. When we create, when we are creative, when our good seeds and bad seeds are at its highest, so to speak, as Vaktangov would put it, then we are probably most alive, and we are alive in a very special sense. And I think that Babel probably inspires that kind of life in us and by doing so changes us and makes us different.
0: Later uh, he became a typical dissident uh, as an intelligent writer he didn't agree with the rulings of stalin it was difficult for him to publish the work he was always censored or listened to basically he didn't have like a free way of creating and i found like a interesting quote that he said At the very first meeting of the Soviet Writers' Union back in 1939, he said that I have invented a new genre, a genre of silence. So basically, yeah, he couldn't uh, really express himself. He published amazing works, I think, at least from what I saw, he's quite a big name and internationally known. Yet his life didn't last for long, he got arrested and all his work got confiscated in 1939 and shortly after, so probably in 1940, he got shot in a prison cell, probably in Siberia or Moscow, but also different sources tell different things. But basically, his work survived, his texts are widely available also in English. And actually, if I'm checking right now, it's quite easy to buy the books. They are not too expensive. So I definitely encourage you to check it out. I feel there is something interesting in the literature that was actually censored and not allowed for so many years and now is available and we can learn from it also about the history, but perhaps about something which is repeating right now about a country that is wanting to go back to the past and control the rest of the world as it was in Stalin times number two is a bit of a lighter recommendation a movie Everything is Illuminated from 2005 an American production made by Liev Schreiber and the movie is an adaptation from the novel of the same name by Jonathan Safran Fuer.
1: in a place far from home I'm a vegetarian. You're a what? I don't eat meat. Pork? No. Chickens? No. But what about the sausage? No meat. What is wrong with you?
0: The movie tells a story of a young American Jew, Jonathan, who goes to Ukraine to find a woman named Augustine who saved his grandfather during the Holocaust in a small Ukrainian town called Trahibrod that was wiped off the map when the Nazis came to Eastern Europe. Jonathan arrives to Lviv by train, and there he meets two guides, uh, an older man with a dog and his very enthusiastic grandson, Alex, who speaks English and is actually a big fan of the American pop culture. Both men come originally from Odessa and they are used to this wealthy Americans coming to Ukraine in search of their Jewish roots. So they did that before, but Jonathan seems to really care and he really seems to look for someone special so they decide to help him of course. On a lot of the posters of the movie you see sunflowers and also in the trailer there is the scene with sunflowers because apparently when they do find the woman Augustine she lives in a house completely um, remote and surrounded by a field of sunflowers and of course I there I had to think about the symbol of the sunflower which uh, was already the national flower of Ukraine but now because of uh, the war became an even stronger symbol and Probably most of you heard or saw the video where there's a Ukrainian woman approaching and a Russian soldier asking him, like, why did you attack our land? And telling him that he should put sunflower seeds into his pocket. So when he dies on her land, there will be sunflowers growing from his ashes. So a very symbolic gesture Uh, Kind of speaking also about the heroism of the Ukrainians and about the flower itself. So I thought it was a nice link uh, to the movie and yeah, how they also depict sunflowers and how the sunflowers appear also in the visuals of the film itself. Anyway, the movie is a comedy, so it's a light, funny film, but speaking about a piece of history and a very serious subject, I guess because of that, it also received quite some critique or some people didn't really understand it. It does have quite good reviews on IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes. I guess you can do that with the American movies. That's kind of accurate then. Yeah, have a a watch. Uh, Check it out if you haven't yet. I think it's possible to see it on the kind of big uh, streaming platforms and of course it depicts quite a lot of stereotypes about the west versus the east, how we always eat only meat and drink vodka, drive this funny old cars and how we need to be strong men and women are at home and stuff like this and I guess uh, in some ways it is still true and maybe in 2005 it was more true than it is now. But since it's a comedy, I think it's fun to laugh from that jokes and kind of play into these narratives. And last but not least, number three the Privoz market located at the Privosna Street 14 in Odessa. This is a food market or the farmer's market that is considered to be the biggest in Ukraine and in the world. And Alex told me it is the most traditional and surreal place she knows and she is very much inspired by, by it also in her work. The first records of the market can be dated back to the beginning of the 19th century. Back then, of course, it was a very simple, place where people were exchanging goods and most of the stuff was being sold from the backs of the horses, which is quite funny to imagine. Later, of course, it tra- transformed many times. At the beginning of the 20th century, it was also burned down because of an outbreak of a plague and later rebuilt again. And now on YouTube, you have quite some videos of how it looks today. There is one like 7-8 uh, minute long video where it kind of guides you through all the places of the market. I guess like there is separation for different goods. The idea is that you can basically buy anything you want. They're also more expensive and cheap stuff, fruits, vegetables and a lot of meat and fish, which I guess also the name of Alex project comes from. And yeah, if you watch the video, it's quite a crazy experience. First of all, all the goods are being sold directly on the table so you have just like mostly older women having like tables covered with a typical eastern european tablecloth something i used for my logo and then directly on that they put their goods there is a lot of meat somehow at least from the video quite a nightmare for vegans and vegetarians nevertheless uh Yeah, visually quite strong, and also something which we are so not used to to really be confronted so closely with uh, goods and food in general. There is no packaging, no plastic, everything is just like, yeah, directly from the farmers, which I guess it's, yeah, quite a special thing. Due to its uh, visual attributes, but also its long history, the market appeared in a lot of artist works. Uh, Among others, also the book which we were speaking about, Odessa Stories by Isaac Babel. There was a lot of stories and anecdotes happening, coming from the market itself. One of them is kind of more... Shared and I could find information on that, that in uh, the 40s there was an animal transfer from one zoo to another and somehow an elephant, a four-year-old elephant named Murza, escaped and suddenly found uh, themselves in the market. And it was or is... Um, Somehow documented, I'm not sure, that the elephant uh, was kind of eating apples and pickled cucumbers and like the cabbage, the dry fruits and kind of disrupting uh, the peaceful market atmosphere, stressing out uh, some people for sure. Later, I think the elephant uh, was captured and returned to the zoo, Uh, but it was an inspiration for a popular Soviet comedy film, Stripped Trip. Uh, I think in the comedy, the elephant wasn't uh, the main protagonist, it was uh, the tiger. Uh, But I guess it was inspired by this kind of exotic animals who disrupt our lives. (laughs) Quite surreal indeed. But yeah, it's so nice to discover these small things uh, while researching. So I was very grateful for this little elephant anecdote as well. And for the very end, I wanted to share with you a recipe. A recipe from the title of Alex's work, Aubergine Caviar. It sounds very fancy, but it seems to be a very easy and delicious recipe that I thought would be nice to share. And maybe you can make it after you listen to the podcast or while you listen to some other podcast. I think it's a nice uh, addition to learning about the ukrainian culture also finding out more about its cuisine so for the aubergine caviar we need three aubergines six peeled garlic cloves six springs of thyme olive oil i guess quite generously salt and pepper so first you have to wash the aubergines and cut them in half uh, putting them uh, on a baking tray uh, over a sheet of aluminum foil and then uh, make diagonal diamond shapes with the knife and inside Put the garlic cloves, uh, sprinkle then the aubergine with some thyme, salt and pepper and a generous amount of olive of oil. And later cover it again with another aluminium foil sheet and bake in the oven uh, for one hour in 180 degrees Celsius. So after that you can remove it from the oven and cool it down completely. While it cools down, you can uh, remove the skin of the aubergines. It should be easy. And put uh, the aubergines with the garlics into a blender. I guess uh, if it's a bit dry, you can always add more olive oil and add some more salt and pepper to taste. And basically uh, when the mixer blends it like to a nice pure texture, uh, the aubergine dip is ready, and I think, um, yeah, you can serve it with some garnish, some parsley on top, and probably it tastes best uh, with some freshly baked bread. Thank you so much for joining me today, and next time I will provide you with more sources to Ukrainian culture and art.